by Adrian Dixon from Northside Community Church in uh, Nightingale, uh, or Nightdale, excuse me, North Carolina. How are you doing, Adrian? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Adrian, uh, I think people here probably know too much about me, but they might not know as much about you. Um, could, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So uh, as Eric said, my name's Adrian Dixon. I, uh, I grew up in Garner, North Carolina. I still live uh, about 15 minutes from Garner. So uh, North Carolina has been home for me for the, the my, my entire life. I, uh, I grew up in the Garner Advent Christian Church and uh, felt a calling to ministry when I was 18 years old, a senior in high school and pursued ministry uh, in my, my undergraduate years at a school called Campbell University. It was a liberal arts school and uh, went on to divinity school and uh, now serve a, a church in Nightdale, um, which is a, was a church plant back in 2002. Uh, I'm married. I've been married. It'll be uh, nine years this month and I uh, have three kids, Harper, who's seven, Cole, who's five, and Graham, uh, who just turned one. Man, that's awesome. Three kids. That's a, that's a houseful, huh? It's a houseful. <laughs> Amen. Um, so we're here with Adrian. We're going to focus on what he alluded to earlier, which is the planting of the Nightdale Church um, when he was coming out of seminary along with some other folks and explore church planting and, and the experience that Adrian and his church has had over the last, uh, what is it, 16 years? Is that correct? Yep. Oh my goodness. Praise God. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and, uh, and see where it takes us. So, so Adrian, start us off. Um, what played into the decision for you, uh, in planting a church in, in, in this location in particular? So I, uh, I, I knew at 18 that ministry was what I was called to do. And growing up in our denomination, most of our churches, uh, in the South are in very rural places. And so I kind of had in my mind that I would be pastoring, a rural church. Uh, my senior year in college, uh, I was rooming with a, a, a guy who uh, was, was, I think, wrestling with a call to ministry as well, but was also connected with a, a gentleman in our denomination by, by the name of Dwight Carpenter. And he was working at General Conference at the time. Uh, Dwight was, was really a mentor to me in a, in a lot of ways in my college years. And on one occasion, uh, as, as he was, was down visiting, he asked me, he said, have you ever thought of church planting? And I had met a couple of church planters in, in my undergraduate years and, and just hearing their stories. I, I knew enough of church planting to know that's not what God was calling me to. I was convinced of it. And uh, and the more that I um, the more that I thought about that, the more that I prayed about that. My roommate, through something that was very serendipitous, uh, kind of confirmed that calling in my life. And uh, and so we began this journey. Um, there was another gentleman by the name of John Hathaway, who I uh, got to know through Camp Dixie, who led worship a lot for camp. Uh, he was graduating from NC State. So we, there were three of us that were uh, all right in the same age group. And all three of us really felt that maybe this is what God's calling us to. And so we set out to begin that journey. Wow, that's neat. Wow, so that's neat. So did you, did you say those you say three, three people were like your people were like as you guys were going up? Absolutely, they were our planting team. There were only three of us, and uh, we we then went to our home missions board. Uh, John, the, the the third guy that came along, his dad was an Advent Christian pastor for a number of years, so he grew up understanding ministry. His dad actually planted a church near Camp Dixie, so he even had some 
some history of understanding what church planting looked like uh, through his through his dad. We uh, we went to our local conference to get support and. And the older I get, the more I think about what that must have looked like for three 22-year-old guys to, to come into a conference meeting of people who were, who were senior adults at that point saying, we're feeling called to plant a church. And our conference had not, our conference has not had a lot of success historically planting churches. And so you, you factored our history in, in planting churches along with the age of, of us coming and, and saying, hey, we feel this calling to go plant. And uh, and they were they were skeptical, um, but they they got behind us and and supported us. They uh, they gave us some resources, uh, some significant resources to get started. We spent about a year really planning, praying, preparing for the launch of the church. In that time, we traveled to other Advent Christian churches throughout North Carolina. We went to forty different Advent Christian churches and shared the vision of of what we were feeling called to do. And so churches in different regions, churches in different conferences got behind us. And so even more than this being a conference church plant, in a lot of ways, it felt like two regions and two conferences uh, having having a vested interest in how well we did. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you three guys were able to persuade all of these different people to help and pray. I'm sure some of that was financing. It, it was um, we uh, and and persuade when you when you use that word I I really in, in my heart of hearts even to this day I still think it was a call and uh, and I, I really believe that's what what showed I, at least I I hope looking back that's what they saw uh, and they I mean a lot of people could look and say man what they did was uh, was foolish uh, trusting three these these twenty two year olds I, I tend to look at it as an act of faith. They, they stepped out believing that uh, that if God were calling us to do it, that God was going to be faithful in that. And uh, and so they they invested seed money. Uh, we weren't we weren't a plant from a mothering church. So uh, there were just us three with really only the resources we had were the churches that we had visited. Uh, we had visited gave us, uh, gave us financial offering. Uh, so our, our, our conference is now a lot of the funds uh, for us to get started. That's incredible, That's incredible, man. And I think yeah, faith is the perfect word to, to say what happened there where you guys stepped out in faith, the three of you. And I mean, I just at 22 years old, I mean, oh, my goodness. So out of the three of you, are all three of you still with the church? No, no. Uh, the, the church plant killed the other. Two. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> one actually is in uh, Kentucky. He is. He's actually in the Army, Eric. And um uh, he is a Black Hawk pilot. He's done two tours, uh, at one in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. Uh, and, uh, and that was my college roommate. His name was James Weepert. Uh, the other guy, John Hathaway, is actually an environmental engineering professor at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, he, he, w- he was with us for about two years and, uh, and then transitioned away. James was with us till about 2005, 2006. And then he moved as well. And they, we still stay in touch. Uh, one of those guys was back for our church anniversary. And uh, so they, they, even though they're in different locations, they, they stay connected to how the church is doing. That's just amazing how God works in, in different ways. I mean, I, I'm not a church planter. I've read and listened to podcasts and, and all that about church planting because I find it just so fascinating because it harkens back to what true 
what I find true biblical mission being going yeah. out and sharing the gospel and planting churches. And um, I have all the respect in the world for anyone who goes out with, you know, a couple of couple of buddies and says, Hey, we feel led to this area and led to share and preach the gospel in a community that, that needs it. And at 22 years old, I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's big. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think back to those times and I have so many, um, so many memories of, of that. And I, I want to say, I mean, I am, I'm still just as excited, even more excited about Northside than I was 16 years ago when we, when we launched. So that, that passion has never faded, but I think back to that call and I had heard a long time ago from a, uh, someone that I really trusted. How do you know God's called you to something? And I really held on to this through those early years in ministry when things were, were really challenging. And, and, and it was really these three things. One was um, you can't stop thinking about it. It's always in front of you. It's always there on your mind. It's always there on your heart. The second thing is that it's bigger than you. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. It's going to require God's hand to, to be with you. And the third, which is where I think we lose a lot of believers in, in their call, is that you're willing to give your life to it and for it. And mm. I said early on, if God, if you want me in Nightdale the rest of my life, I'll, I'll be there. I'll stay there and I, I'll be content with that. And uh, and so 16 years later, I still feel that way. I, um, I I feel called to this community. I love this community. And, uh, and it's still bigger than me. And I still can't stop thinking about it. So uh, for me, uh, that's that's one of the reasons how one of the ways that I've tried to clarify God's call in, in my life. Uh, so what are a few things that you can think of that have been some obstacles over the last 16 years in planting a church? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so within our conference, uh, how our conference uh, approached church planting was much different than how we were approaching church planting. And as you can imagine, that that created some tension at times. We were trying a very different model than what they had historically tried. And uh, and th- so there was some pushback from that. It was new. Uh, so that was that was something we were what was called a parachute drop. So uh, in Nightdale, we, there was really no connections. We just we went to Nightdale feeling called to that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no base of, of individuals there that were part of the team. And, and that was somewhat of a challenge as well. I mean, there, there's churches who do that. There's churches, church plants that go in not knowing anyone. Um, there's church plants that go in with seed families. Looking back, I, w- I wish we would have had some seed families that, that could have been a larger part of that team. Um, some other challenges were, were along the financial piece of it. We, we made some early commitments financially that, um, that ended up probably not being in our best, <clears throat> our best interest. Um, but we we survived them, and, and so much of church planting those initial years is about survival, and uh, and so we were able to get through those. But uh, I, I would say that the biggest was um, just a, a lack of understanding of what we were trying to do. And when people don't understand what you're trying to do, uh, or at least the mechanics of it, it, it can cause confusion. It can even cause second guessing, and that's the last thing you need. When, when you're when you're walking in God's call in your life uh, is, is people questioning, uh, are they doing the right thing? Is this is this really is this really what they should be doing? And so trying to push back some of that was was big for us. So I know. Uh, so going to like your approach and we touched on a little bit on this earlier, but 
your approach to church playing, I know that there were the three of you, uh, like the core team, but did you intend for the structure to be where it is now? Like I know that most, if not all of the staff are part-time, including yourself. Right. Uh, everybody has a full-time job. Was that the intent coming in? And, and how do you go from three guys to, uh, you know, really starting a church from, from scratch? Yeah, so the model from, from the jump has always been to, to be a bivocational model, meaning that there's a ministry inside the church, uh, and then there's a, also a ministry outside in the marketplace, uh, having a tent-making job. And uh, I really I see that as a scriptural, uh, not necessarily the only way, but, but a way of doing ministry. And so we, we did that. Uh, James was a, a Raleigh police officer. Uh, I, I work at a hospital, a local hospital as a chaplain. Uh, John was doing some work for an engineering firm. So we were all working outside of outside of the church. And part of it was was living into what we saw a lot of um, a lot of resources being devoted to salary that that we could have devoted to ministry. And so that was part of where we were coming from. I, I think the larger piece was was wanting to make sure we were engaged in our community. So that was going out and getting jobs in our community. That was going out and meeting people in our community. And um, I, I would have been tempted to probably stay behind the, the walls of the church if I was doing it full time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so forcing myself to get out there really has allowed me to engage people that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to engage. And I think it's made my ministry better. I, when I when I look at the demands of having a boss at work, uh, having budgets to meet, having performance evaluations, having having to get up and, and go to work and, and answer to to people there. I, I think that's allowed me to have a, a, a different perspective with people in my church community than, than maybe if I wasn't doing those things, uh, if you will, an understanding of what their life mm -hmm. at times is like. I think another piece to it is that um, it's it's allowed people in our church to do more of the work of ministry. So there's not this focus on, well, that's what we pay you to do. You're, you're the pastor, so you need to go visit. Over the last 16 years, there's really been this strong, organic pastoral care model that's been rooted in the church of, of people actually taking care of one another's needs. Mm -hmm. And, and while, while I do serve as the pastor and while I am there to, to really address some of the larger needs, they're not always deferring to me. They're not always coming back and saying, well, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? There's... There's a lot of equipping that I, I'd like to think has been done by not being there and, and allowing them to, to, to have to walk with one another at times. Uh, as the church has grown, we've, we've gone with a philosophy in ministry of, um, uh, of inch wide, mile deep. So we have four people on staff right now, and each of our ministries are, are very much focused ministries. But we'd like to think that because they're focused, we can go very deep on what we do. So we have a pastor of worship whose sole focus is, is worship. It's not anything else to do in the church. Uh, we have a pastor of children's ministries. Her her focus is, is exactly that on children's ministries and, and making our children's ministries the, the, the best that a kid could ever experience in, in church life. Uh, we have an executive pastor who oversees our student ministries. And so uh, from an administrative standpoint, from some of the, uh, the the church functions that are behind the scenes, just making sure they're done well and with quality. 
and that our student ministry is strong and then in my role as pastor. So it's it's really allowed us to focus singularly on things and, and, and to try our best to do those things well. Mm -hmm. I like uh, <clears throat> the term that Tom Rayner uses for bivocational pastors. Uh, he prefers the term marketplace pastor, where you're, you're very much in the marketplace and it allows you an opportunity to engage and, you know, for for those who are in full time vocational ministry, it can become very easy to get completely surrounded by church folk uh, and, and you're 100 percent in a holy huddle. And then it's harder to relate to those. And I find that in my own life, too, who you know struggle at work or struggle at school or in their neighborhood and in their interactions with people because they don't they're surrounded by lost lost people, but the pastor, because, you know, he's either in sermon prep or preparing a Bible study or sitting with, with the sick and the ill uh, and, and just doing visitation or discipleship with someone, you get so busy doing good stuff that right. you forget what it, what it's like to be in the less sanctified world. You're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that, um, that where our denomination uh, is, uh, historically and, and even now that the bivocational model is one that we can either embrace and 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 be strong advocates for and do well or, or we can be forced into it and because of, of attrition and, and because of decline and it's not just our denomination I mean a lot of a lot of churches in North America are, are facing this and I think at, at times historically it was seen bivocational ministry was looked at as pastors who couldn't cut it. Uh, as pastors who who couldn't get churches full time, and I, I'd like to think that that mentality is changing. That it really, if it's done well and it's done intentionally, it actually can be extremely life giving. Um, I, I know my wife is like, I don't know how you're not tired, you know, working a full time job and and pastoring a church, but to me, that the energy level is is even greater if I were just doing one of those full time, uh, because my heart. My heart's in the church. I love the church. Uh, my calling is to the church, but uh, I also see as a way to to support that calling what I get to do Monday through Friday in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. What are some obstacles that you have found in bivocational ministry? I mean, you you've touched on some of the benefits, um, yeah. which are quite apparent, but there must be some obstacles as well. There are. One of them is time management. If you're horrible at time management, bivocational ministry. Not for you. Uh, it, it's one of those things that you, you and I'm not necessarily the most disciplined person, but you, you have to learn to be disciplined. You have to learn to 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 look at your time and, and see it as a as really a precious resource. And so if you've got time to do things rather than just putting it off, really devoting time to, to doing sermon prep or Bible study prep or writing notes to, to parishioners, uh, so that that has been one challenge that I, I think people can learn if they're willing to learn. The other challenge is that there are times when pastoral calls happen and, and you're not available, mm -hmm. and and there it's it's just, it's the nature of things. And um, I have a somewhat flexible job that allows me to to tend to those, but there's times where where I can't. And our church, to its credit, has always been very understanding of that. Uh, and, and because we were born that way. So if you've got churches that maybe aren't used to that and there's a really high demand on clergy or staff to uh, 
to fulfill that role of pastoral caregiving, that could be a tough challenge trying to do that. But I think it's going in with an understanding that there's going to be some things I can't do. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some things that I can't do to people and, and being okay with that and, and helping the people in your congregation understand what it means to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. That can be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I think the, the other challenge is that if your heart is in the church, uh, there's times when you're going to be doing your job and thinking about what you really want to be doing. And, uh, and that's been, you know, I, I daydream a, a, a bit about what, what I'd like to be doing with my time. And, uh, and so it, it's easy for the, the heart to, uh, or the mind to, to be thinking about, man, I wish I, I wish I was doing full-time ministry. <laughs> and, uh, so it, it's, it, whatever you think the challenges may be in bivocational ministry, they're, it's, they're probably true. Mm-hmm. Uh, time being an issue, uh, not being able to be all things to all people being an issue, thinking about the job you wish you were doing rather than the job you have being an issue. And, uh, and if you've got a family, trying to balance family time uh, with, with the demands of a full-time job or a part-time job and, and church life. And as we were talking before we came on air, which is why we're a couple minutes late, you've, you did a dissertation a few years ago as well. So you, so you were balancing a full-time job, pastoral ministry, a family, and doctoral work. That's right. Yeah. God bless you, man. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, it was about this time at night that I started. I would start doing my writing uh, for each day, and 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 really try to to nail that down. It took me. Um, I, I knocked out the seminar piece of it pretty early on, but it took me a long time to write. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah. It's amazing um, how gracious God can be in allowing us to be more efficient with our time. When we have so much more on our plate, and uh... you know, Eric, that what you brought up, I, I think back to that that aspect of, of grace in my life, and uh, I, I tell people all the time, Northside Northside shouldn't be here uh, as as a young pastor who made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, God's grace has definitely been upon us, and as a having a wife who's understanding, having a job that allows me the freedom at times. I, I look and, and anytime I hear people talk about Northside in a positive way, God's grace is usually not far from that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just seeing all the things that he's brought us through and all the ways that, I, that I've gotten to see him work. And so if, if the church never reaches anyone else, what it's done in my life has been something that I'll, I will be eternally grateful for. Amen. So uh, with the and I know, you know, this, you you know, you're on the executive uh, committee, executive council. I forget if it's a committee or a council, but council. Yeah. Council. So the council of Nicaea, except for Christians, the council of Charlotte. Um, (laughs) um, So knowing and they've started to disseminate some of the strategic plan that they've worked on and whatnot in. And uh, I've had the opportunity to read through it, and I'm just super excited about it um, because it hits on all the key points that I know I'm passionate about, and I know a lot of folks in our denomination are, are passionate about. Um, so it, it talks about, or one of the focuses is church planting. Um, with this, uh, do you see a particular model based on your um, being in the trenches of church planting, uh, an approach that you would like to see ACGC either take or not take? Um, and not maybe not necessarily the approach that uh, Northside has taken, but I'm sure just based on your um, your history, you've communi- 
you know, you, you relate to other church planters as well and learn their struggles and their successes and whatnot. And maybe um, you have some insight on how ACGC can help and, and kind of steer things and direct things and, and yeah. love to hear your thoughts. Uh, so to, to to your first part about the strategic plan, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm so encouraged about um, what what Charlotte has come out with and and the opportunities that are there. Um, in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of the bivocational model of of inch wide, mile deep. So we may not as a as a general conference be able to do everything that other denominational groups are doing, but what are the four things that we can do really well? And what are the four things we can focus on? So church health and revitalization, uh, church planting. Th those are, are, in my mind, those are the two that really stand out for where the North American church is right now uh, mm -hmm. within within the Advent Christian uh, connection piece. And we have so many sick churches. And so the, the church health side is, is, is going to be pivotal. The church planting side, if we're going to grow, more importantly, the kingdom of God, but the, the, the Advent Christian denomination, if it's going to grow, it, I don't think it's going to happen through church health. I think it's going to actually happen through church planting. Mm -hmm. I think church health has the ability to sustain and model and disciple and maybe even mother churches. But but church planting is where we're going to see, I think, a lot of kingdom growth and, and a lot of, of, of just churches springing up. As, as with regards to model, I, I'm kind of an all of the above approach. I being in a, a, a suburban community that's a bedroom community for Raleigh, in, in my sixteen years, I, I've seen multiple church plants in Nightdale and in eastern Wake County. Um, it's pretty the percentages that you hear of church plant failures have been true for our community. Um, mm -hmm. Usually eighty percent of them don't make it past three to five years. And so uh, when you when you think of the amount of resources that get invested, um, it's it can be a significantly uh, depressing thing as a denomination when you put a lot of resources into something and it, and it doesn't make it. When when I look at, at church planting, the, the different models that I see out there are um, the, the, the team approach that, that we went with, uh, where you, you parachute in and you're, you don't know anyone in the community, you're there and, and you just start rubbing elbows with people. Um, I, I mean, that works. I, I don't know that that's the best model. I think what uh, what I if I had to pin a model down, it would be a mothering church model, a mm -hmm. sending out model is one that I think is the most healthy, both for the church plant and for the church that is, is sending out. I, I also think that healthy organisms reproduce. And so if you've got a healthy church, which gets back to some of the church health piece we were talking about, then you're not going to help but, but to reproduce and, and to send people out and, and for people to, to, to see that call in ministry and what they're able to do. So if if I had to, to hedge my bets and say, look, this is the model we should we should employ, it would be that one. I think the challenge in our denomination is is where are those mothering churches? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know that they're readily out there. And so I think uh, at a general conference level, at a region, at a local conference level, we're going to have to be uh, both extremely creative uh, to, to church planting, but also willing to have this radical faith that trust God, that if, if we really are being called to this church planting, the, the, how we do it may not look like how other people have thought and seen church plants in the past. Mm. And, and even how we define success, I think needs to be challenged and, and, and changed a little bit. I, I, it, when I was coming along in church planting, it, it was, it was the numbers. Uh, it was the, 
how many do you have there on a Sunday, much like traditional churches are measured. And while that's a metric, I'm not sure it's the best metric. So I think how how church plants are, are happening today. There's some great organizations out there that are doing it. I know uh, General Conference is looking to to connect with Converge uh, to, to help with that. And I, I think it's leaning on people who've done it, leaning on people who would say, this is my calling, this is my passion, and uh, and finding out where God's joining, working in that and joining him mm-hmm. uh, in that. And if we have church plant or churches that can come along and mother, man, let them mother because it will, it will, it will do something for them. They're, I know sometimes we think we may be losing people, but you're doing a lot for the kingdom of God and, and ultimately keeping that focus and vision in mind, in my mind is the most important thing. Uh, the house church model is, is certainly a model that is a, a low cost, um, potentially high, high return on investment. Um, the, uh, the model when I was coming along, the model that a lot of people were going with was kind of this grand opening, almost like a store opening. So you've invest, you've got all these resources invested. And on the first day, you've got 200, 300 people there and, uh, and you're off and running. That's your congregation. And it, it, it pairs down over six months to a year, but then it starts building back up. And, and that model's still out there. There's still a lot of people, uh, a lot of church planters and embracing that model, but, that model requires you to have a significant amount of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any, in regards to church planting, are there any books that you've uh, read in the last few years that you think would be helpful for those who um, who are either interested in church planting for themselves or just want to know more about church planting so that they can help others or at least uh, lend a voice to the conversation? So there's... Um, Peter Wagner was a guy that uh, was was a church planting guru in California for a number of years and is kind of seen as one of the authorities on church planting. Anything by Peter Wagner is going to be solid. Um, I don't know that he's I, I think he's a couple of years. Uh, his last book came out, but he's his stuff from a, a call and a uh, how you approach church planting as a planter are really solid. They're, they're, they're kind of timeless qualities. Um, one, one person that, that really has stood out to me is a guy by the name of Mark Batterson. And, uh, and he's in, in the DC area. And, uh, he, uh, he wrote a book a few years ago called chasing the dragon. And, um, and it's, and when you look at his life and you look at his ministry, uh, he, he failed at church plant at his first church plant. And uh, but that call was there and um, and he ended up going to D.C., planted there and has had a phenomenal ministry and uh, and, and didn't give up on it. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I, I look at someone like that um, and and part of part of that story is is going through that church planting process and and understanding what failure looks like. But at the same time, what um, what fulfilling your call looks like. The, the, the most important thing that helped me in, in planting Northside was, was not forgetting my call. Mm. And I, I think for anybody that's looking at church planting, that, that has got to be the thing. You've got to be called to it, number one. But there are going to be so many times that you're going to look back and you're going to question whether you did the right thing. And if you can't come back to that calling, you're going you're gonna to be out. You're, you won't survive in it. A lot like church ministry where, where churches have been established. You, 
there, there are times where you have to come back to that calling that keeps you moving on and, and, and moving forward. So anything related to call, I, I would say a church planter needs to be reading that. Yeah. Good, good. So our, our last question for the night, um, you know, with the current leadership in, in church health crises that, uh, that our denomination is facing, do you think that church planting should be a focus to over revitalization? Um, do you think that there's a way to raise up leaders so that we aren't pinning these two important ministries against one another? Or do you think inevitably they, they are just going to be competing moving forward? It's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't think, I don't think they have to be in conflict or in competition with one another. I actually think they can complement each other very well. There's an old adage that it's a lot easier to make new babies than it is to raise the dead. Mm. And uh, I, I suspect that when you, when you apply that to church health uh, and church revitalization, I imagine that's a harder work uh, than, than church planting. Um, but I, I often see them as very similar work because if you're going in and, and, and feeling this call to revitalize a church, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's going to look a lot like a church plant mm. and, and trying to lay that foundation for maybe a new culture, uh, a new perspective on ministry, a new way to define ministry. And I, I think with church health, if, if the goal really is health and not just get the church to survive for a few more years, which I think is a very different conversation as a denomination we need to have, then church health, I'd like to think, would naturally lead to church planting. Mm -hmm. So one could be the result of the other, where uh, if we double down and say, okay, all of our investments should be in church revitalization, well, would that lead to church planting? I hope it would, uh, but I, I... I think where we are as a denomination, I think you have to approach both. And I don't know that one's more important than the other. I think they're equally important. And I think if there was a way to strip down our resources as a denomination, those would be the two baskets that you'd want to fill uh, to say, look, let's, let's invest in people who have this calling to revitalization. Let's invest in people and in, in resources for, for church planting. And both could have a, a phenomenal ministry. So I, I see them actually working in concert with with one another because the, the, the flip side is going to be true, Eric. There's going to be churches that are tried to revitalize that aren't going to be able to make it. Mm -hmm. And uh, working as a hospital chaplain, there's those hard conversations that you have to have with families at times of uh, what if God's answer is no, or what if uh, you know, you're not going to you're not going to make it out of this. And we have churches in our denomination that are going to have to hear that. And it's going to be painful. It's, it's going to be difficult. But the beauty of, of most of the people I've met at the hospital, patients that have died, is that many of them have left a legacy in their spouses and their children and their grandchildren. And I think it's helping some of these churches that are sick and ailing to understand what does it look like to leave a legacy and, and doing our best to see that, that just because the church revitalization didn't work for that specific church doesn't mean that the fruits of that ministry have to end. Mm. I think they could be poured into a church plant and, uh, and you could see kind of a uh, new wine and old wine skins type type of thing. Mm. So I, uh, I, I'd like to think that they could work together. Yeah, I do too. And it's been, you know, it's difficult. I, I, I love trying to think about these things and trying to look at, you know, we have this, leadership crisis that is at 
our front door. The door's already open and, and the crisis is already in the house and, and stealing all the goods. And um, I think we're, we're coming to a point where when guys are going to come out of Bible college and seminary and looking for pastoring opportunities, you know, how are we going to best direct them and discern, okay, hey, have you ever, you know, based on your giftedness and whatnot, uh, maybe uh, you are called to do this type of ministry or that type of ministry. I think for a lot of folks, they don't even know that church planting is a an option, right? They might even come out. They never even heard of what church planting was or never met a church planter. Or um, I had a conversation in seminary once where a guy was talking about how special these church planters were, like like as if church planters were the 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 gold star child of the family and that you had a, you know, you you almost had a special communion with God that no other pastor has, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I was just it's like, true. man, I, I don't think that's how this works. <laughs> uh, no, it don't. And and to your point, I mean, I um, I, I didn't I didn't know there was a real focus in our denominational church planting when I came along, and and there, I guess there really wasn't. Uh, and so I, I think you really have to, to, to lean on the sovereignty of God for people who are walking in that call that mm-hmm. uh, that if, if they're called to plant a church, that that's going to happen. And I'd, I'd like to think that it can happen within our denominational framework. It fits really well into the uh, into our core beliefs and in, in, in the imminent return of Christ. But e- even more than that, I, 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 I really see it as the opportunity to reach people for Christ. And it doesn't mean that uh, church revitalization doesn't do that. But it, again, all of the above, man, anything we can do to reach people, we need to be doing it. And if, if church planting is one of those vehicles, it doesn't have to be the vehicle, but a vehicle. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that our denomination is, is really putting an emphasis and a, a focus on that. Yeah. And, and to bring something that we talked about uh, earlier uh, before it came on air, like the, our focus needs to be not making Advent Christians making Christians. Our our focus needs to be calling, you know, sharing the gospel, calling people to repentance and faith and, and, you know, walking them through what a joyful life in in love and obedience to Christ looks like and, um, and teaching them uh, the word of God. And based on our being Advent Christians and believing a lot of this theology that they would also believe that as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, you're you're absolutely right. I, I think that if our focus, and I, I, I'm a company guy as much as the next person. I mean, I'm I'd like to think that I'm going to be in the Advent Christian camp the, the rest of my ministry. But uh, one of the things that we've tried to embrace as a model at Northside is that we don't have to be twins to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. And so, if if our emphasis and focus is on this connection that we have as children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. Then, then the banner of, of being a denominational church affords us opportunity to do ministry together. Mm-hmm. And that's been how we tried to approach it rather than having this litmus test of the, this declaration that, okay, do you line up with that? Now you can call yourself an Advent Christian. Uh, I, if you're out doing the work of, of reaching people for Christ, I'd say you're Advent Christian. Amen. Well, Adrian, hey, it's, uh, it's really been a pleasure talking with you tonight. I uh, hope we can do it again soon, whether on air or off air. Uh, it, it's been great, man. Thank you. Eric, thank thank you so much for the invitation and uh, appreciate what you guys are doing uh, in our denomination and, and, and this calling back to, to our roots. Really thank you for you guys. Thanks. God bless, brother.
God bless you. Thank you.